Turn with me please to the book Little Epistle of Jude Little Epistle of Jude Please Just 25 verses One little chapter While you're looking that up Some people I'd be asking me I received these before When I was in Scotland There's a man Princeton there So I was able to get a few And I've got a contact now Um, He's actually from Carlisle But he he comes to the Scottish convention there And This is a little booklet on why the King James Bible, okay? So, why the King James Bible? So, if you'd like some, there's a handful of them there. Take them on the way out. So, if you'd like one, please take one. And if you need more, some people had asked me, I can't remember who it was, a couple had asked me for them, but we can get them printed and get a few more. Why the King James Bible? And it's the book that changed the world. There's a good answer for you, but that's only a little part of it. So why the King James Bible are some of them there? Okay, the Lord bless you. Let's read just a, a, a few verses from the little epistle of Jude. Starting to read, please, at verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion at making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now keep your Bible open there for we'll be referring to this. Let's pray. Father, again. We ask you that you would just, Lord, draw near to every heart. That your spirit would have free course in this meeting as your word goes forth. Lord, that you would hide me. Let no one see a pastor, no one see a preacher, nor any man. But may they see Christ and Christ only. We pray, Father, this morning that you would move from seat to seat and from heart to heart and glorify your son. We pray that your spirit would elevate and magnify and lift him up in our hearts this morning and that he may become first first in all our lives and maybe leave this place this morning challenged maybe leave this place this morning blessed and built up maybe leave this place in whatever way you see fit to deal with us so glorify your name and glorify yourself we ask it for jesus name's sake and for his glory alone amen Amen. I've entitled this Having or Not Having the Spirit. Having or Not Having the Spirit. I was just reading this and to be honest I was uh, praying one time and a little verse came to me and it's our first verse and the first line of it, or rather pardon me, verse 20 of the first line of it. But ye beloved building up yourselves Upon the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So I started thinking about this and I'm praying and believing praying in the Holy Ghost. And this next verse just hit me like a ton of bricks, as we would say. Really heavy and really hard. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now when we look at this from beginning to the ending, the Lord is the beginning of our salvation The Lord is the ending of our salvation, as it were. In other words, our salvation is completely, fully, and totally reliant upon him. So what are we to keep and how are we to keep it? 
is that works we're speaking of? People may read this and say, so I have to keep working to be uh, loved or have I to keep working and do uh, certain things for God to continue on in his love for me? Well, at the outset of this, I want to say, no, that's not what it means. God's love is freely given and God's love has been set or placed upon you and you've received that love. God has loved you from before you even knew it. Loved you from before the foundation of the world. But God's love was there for you and I. But at the time of our conversion, it's when we were awakened and made alive unto that love. And so we walk before him in love, as the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians. Every day when you get up, you're walking before his face in love. Every night when you rest your head in the bed, you're sleeping as it were. You're before him in love. Whenever you're in a troublesome time, you're before him in love. Whenever your heart is winning, you're before him in love. And the problem is that people who are saved think that the Lord doesn't love them because of trial, because of tribulation. They think the Lord doesn't love them because someone has more than them or does, seems to be doing better than them. And that's all fallacy. The Lord loves you, but the Lord wants you to love him in return. Keeping the covenant of love with the Lord. And we'll look at that, God willing. We might need two mornings in this. This isn't going to turn into an epic, but we'll try and get through as much of it as possible today. And I know some of you are already laughing. So I, I, I don't mean it to turn into an epic. Let me say that. We don't want it to. But here in is something I want us all to examine ourselves. One, whether we be in the faith. In other words, examine ourselves, are we fully trusting Christ? Examine ourselves, is Christ living in our life? Examine ourselves, do we walk before the Lord in holiness and righteousness of life? And examine ourselves, do we fall? Do we fail every day? The answer is absolutely yes. But not intentionally and not habitually and not in an open course of sin. That's why we live in God's grace. But we need to examine ourselves. We want to look at And I'm not going to apply it to every person. I'm not going to apply it to every situation. And I don't want to apply it where I'm going over streams and reams of of reasons and things. But I want us all to say, Holy Spirit, this morning, I want you to take the word. And in your heart this morning, say, show me. Tell me. Point to me where my life can improve in you. Whether that's in service for the Lord. Or whether that's giving your life over completely to the Lord. Whether that's laying yourself down afresh for the Lord because maybe you've went cold and wayward or even backslidden. And saying, Lord, I've been out of touch with you. I'm just coming, Lord. I'm saying, show me where our love relationship, where this covenant bond that we have together, where I need to polish up on, where I need to come under your authority where I need to yield my will, where I need to bow the knee to you. And we think of those in church, we think of those out of church. So this is going across a broad spectrum. I've called it, as I said, having or having not the Spirit. So because people fail, it doesn't mean you don't have the Spirit. There could be a war among your members. That is your flesh. There can be a war in your mind. And we get crushed in the mind sometimes. That does not mean you're not God's. It does not mean you don't have the Spirit. Let me categorically place that upon you now. And let the Holy Ghost wing that to your heart. 
What I'm saying is, is whenever we have uh, see people whose lives profess Christ but live a certain and a different way completely. In other words, are they truly saved? Or maybe there's things of our own minds, our own will, our own pride, our own life, our own thought, whatever it may be, our own flesh rises up and maybe we're angry at the wrong people at the wrong time. That's not off the spirit. Or maybe we're, 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 we're uh, living a life where it's always complaining and murmuring uh, for no great apparent reason. It's just a life of drudgery and grudge. And that's not off the Spirit. So measure in yourself. Say, Holy Spirit, show me. Maybe there's a bitterness, a root there that needs plucked up and dealt with, that needs cut out. Maybe you're like a dog with a bone about something or someone and you just can't let it go. That's not off the Spirit. That's not the things of the Holy Ghost. So we need to look at ourselves as born-again, blood-washed Christians. Not that you're cast away from Christ. Not that you're not in the love of God. Because he does love you. You're, You're secure in Christ this morning. But it's how in our own lives, in our own walk with him, maybe we need to get back into things that we weren't in service anymore. Maybe we were in fire for God passionate about Christ and his service and his work and his house and in in ministry. And maybe we've drifted because of circumstance and situation. But we need to say, Lord, this morning, show me. Show me where I need to give to you, what I need to give to you, where I need to yield and to buy the will and hand over all to you. So this morning, let's have the Spirit apply his own word Let the Spirit apply His Word to our hearts. So quietly now in your heart, say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Quietly in your heart, say, Holy Spirit, talk to me right now. And as the Word goes forth, it might convict you. It might compel you. It might convince you into something. But nevertheless, if it's the Spirit of the Lord, it's not a man preaching from a coward's castle up in a pulpit. It is the Holy Ghost saying, here it is. You might not like it. You might despise it. You might hate it. But nevertheless, say, I will yield to what you tell me this morning. I'll yield to your authority. I yield to your plan. I yield to your purpose. I yield to you in my life. Some things about the Holy Spirit. The man and the woman who have the Holy Spirit. The man and the woman who have the Holy Spirit abiding and dwelling in them. The Spirit of Christ on them. They will want to be like Christ. The man and the woman with the Spirit in them. They'll want to do what Christ did and love what Christ loved. They'll want to live even how Christ lived. They'll seek it. They'll seek after it. They'll go for it. And even as the Spirit says, it's like the deer panting after the water brooks, needing that drink, they'll be thirsty for it with what seemingly is an unquenchable thirst until they drink deep in the Holy Ghost. And then you'll find the Holy Ghost first and foremost in a life, in a ministry, and in a church meeting or an assembly of God's people, he always lifts up magnifies, he elevates, and he glorifies the Son of God. In every meeting, at every time, and at every point, if there's a meeting and the Son of God is not mentioned, lifted up, and glorified as King of kings, Lord of lords, head over the church, God over all, then it's time to leave. 
Christ must be the head over all things at all times. That's over all hearts and over all spirits. So then let's look at this this morning. There's a little verse. Why did I call it having or having not the spirit? Let's look at verse 19. Jude speaks of two groupings of people here. And finishing off about the first grouping, we'll look at them in a moment. Listen to what he says, rounding them up. These be they who separate themselves. In other words, they cause division, which is not of the Spirit. In other words, they group together in a little group to form their own clique. These be they that... These be they that separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Capital S, speaking of the Holy Ghost. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. These having not the Spirit. So what about those who have the Spirit? Then we go into our reading. But ye beloved. The word beloved is you divinely divinely loved ones. Do you realize this morning, believer, you're divinely loved? It's not a man's fickle, humanistic love. It's not a a romantic love of hearts and flowers. But you are divinely loved this morning. You're in Christ this morning. You're divinely loved. If you're his this morning, his love is upon you. His love does not abate. His love does not diminish. His love not, does not go up nor down. But like the attribute of love that he is and has and the attribute of his person, he is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's understanding that his love will never change. Don't measure the love of God and don't measure the love of Christ by the love of others you've met in your life. You might see glimpses from some spirit-filled Christians who from time to time show that godliness and that love in their life, uh, that they love Christ, and in order because they love Christ, they love you. And that's why we need to seek more for the Spirit. Having the Spirit means we'll be in the love of God. Having the Spirit means we'll have more of the love of Christ. Having the Spirit and drinking deep of the Spirit means not only will we have that love, but we will be so full of that love, we will be touched so powerfully by that love, that we will have that love overflow us to reach others around us. And that love can be seen in glimpses and Little gleams and little chinks, as it were, where every now and again it just flashes from people's lives. Oh, such a godly man and such a godly woman. They must be in love with Jesus. And at those times you see that they are. You see that they love him because the love of Christ shines out of them. And you're receiving off that love. But there's men and women. And Jude says, having not the Spirit. Having not the Spirit. If you are full of love for Christ, you have the Spirit. Because you can't love Him without the Holy Ghost. It's time for us to step into that place of worship and praise. And prayer 
and devotion and dedication. Back into that place where we once had before God, where he was so near in the sense that we knew it. He's always near. He's within us. But in the sense that we, were, we knew it, we, we, were, we could recognize it. We were conscious of it. Where Jesus was so real to us, he's more real than the person sitting beside you in the house or on a bus. We hear his voice speak. This is the way. Now walk ye in it. Jude, as I said, is making a comparison of two different groupings of people. He points to a people who are in the church. Now, let me clarify this. Sometimes when you hear a preacher or a pastor preach on certain issues that we'll go into this morning, you think, oh, there must be a big underlying problem. Now, let me categorically put this down now. It's not that reason. That's not happening here, okay? I want to categorically put that down because people just know there's politics in church and it's rotten. It's stinking. And under that, people think, is there something wrong why he preached that? The idea is that I believe the Lord give this to me for our assembly and for whoever else can listen to it. That the Lord is showing us that in church there are groupings of people. There are different hearts. There are different feelings in people. But God's grace abounds over our sin, brothers and sisters. And the idea is to call us into Christ, to call us as an assembly together with one heart, to call us in the unity of the faith, to call us under the bonds and the cords of love and the Holy Spirit, to call us together with one heart and with one mind, with one will, with one voice, in unity, serving and praising and preaching and doing all the things that we do for God and showing you the hearts of men and, and women who had crept into the church And Jude's writing about it. Um, One old Puritan said one time that Jude's little epistle did more for the church when it was read out. It did more for the church than many sermons that had went before over the years. Because it's been classed, this little epistle has been classed as uh, a fiery cross to rouse the church. And what if we bring something like this this morning and it rouses, rouses, is there such a word, rouses? <laughs> it doth rouse our faith. What about that? I'm going back to the King James speaking here. It doth rouse our faith. And it, it will rouse the church up to go on in God. It will rouse us up to step forward and to step out in the things of God. It will rouse us up where we're alive again in Christ. It will rouse us up to reach the lost and to preach the gospel, to, to witness in our workplace, where we'll say, Lord, I have such a, a connection. I'm so uh, in love with you. It's overflowing. I can't help myself but tell others that Jesus saves and Jesus heals, that Jesus still baptizes with the Holy Ghost and Jesus is the soon coming King oh to be filled with Jesus to be filled with him again for a church to be in love with him for a people to be full of his spirit for a people to be baptized in the Holy Ghost 
for a people to leave here. Oh, in touch and in tune with heaven. And we'd all leave here unafraid and unashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. Be unashamed to speak of the blood. Oh, the blood, the precious blood of the Lamb. The blood that cleanses from all sin. The blood which flowed from Emmanuel's veins. Oh, to preach it to people, to talk about it. Nowadays, there's no blood, or it's rarely mentioned in, in churches, and it's rarely mentioned in, in, in assemblies, and it's rarely mentioned in witnessing, and it's rarely mentioned in the workplace. But it used to be the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus! It washes white as snow, unashamed of the power of the cleansing of the blood of the Lamb, brothers and sisters. Time to get back to the blood. Go back to the book. This book will take you to glory. This book which points us to Christ. This book which shines a light in the darkness. This book which tells us of whom we are in him, seated in Christ in heavenly places, heirs of God and jointers with Christ, will set on fire the dimmest heart and you'll go out there and you will say, Oh Jesus, we love you Lord. And you'll preach the gospel to every creature. If you're full of Jesus, you'll be like Jesus. I want to say, brothers and sisters, if you and I are full of Jesus, we will be like Jesus. If we are full of the Spirit, we'll be like Him. If we truly say, Lord, make me more like you, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask is to be like Him. And oh, we'll be ready for a renovation, brother. Be ready for a renovation, sister. Be ready for something in your life. He'll put, he'll put fortification in you. And he'll maybe bring you through things. And he'll maybe bring you through a trial. But in it, he'll be with you every step of the way. And his grace is sufficient. And he'll maybe just bring you out the other side that you'll see the power of Christ has rested upon you. And whenever you come out of that trial, you will walk in the power of Christ as he came out from the Jordan and he went into the wilderness. After 40 days and 40 nights, we're told, he came back into Galilee in the power of the Holy Ghost. It's time the church came out in the power of the Holy Ghost. Here, the Holy Ghost will cause us to be like him. Oh, we could never match him. And we'll never compare to him. But what we can do is strive just to be like him. Here, Jude mentions some of these men. This little epistle was a, a fiery cross to rouse the church. Pray this morning that we're raised up for Christ. No longer things taking his place. No longer things taking his first position. Christ should be, excuse the expression, in pole position in every aspect, in every area, throughout everything, in all of our lives. But yet Christ has taken a back seat, yea, not even a back seat, but he's at the back, as it were, of the bus. 
This comes first. And this comes second. And that comes third. And that comes fourth, fifth, sixth, seven, eight, nine, ten. And, and by the time it all, Christ gets nothing. Let's look at this having or having not the Spirit. And when we look at it, as I said, let the Spirit speak to you. Let the Spirit speak to your heart. It's not up to me to think one by one of people's things and what I think. It's nothing to do with what I think. It's what the Spirit says to you. Let's look at those who have come into the church. And for time's sake, let your eye run down to verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These men had crept in and they were professing Christ. See, there's a difference in professors and possessors. And there are many men who can cross T's and dot I's. They could trip you up with the, their intelligence. They could blind you with their amazement. And, their, and people think, well, that must be right. They're professors. There's women who are professors. Professing Christ. In other words, they talk about him. They speak about him. They profess him, but they do not possess him. There's a difference. These men who crept in, it gives the idea they got in under their skin through the back door. In other words, they come in, great swelling words, and they were, oh, they must know Jesus. But their, their meaning was to dissect. Their meaning was to take away. Their meaning was to dampen the spirit of God. And to bring in a false doctrine. Notice this. They turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. In other words, basically, full-blown sin was okay. Just do what you want. Live how you like. It's under the blood. Notice what they did next. Denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you will. Mark your Bible there, please. But turn with me, if you will, to Matthew's Gospel, please. I want to show you how in the import, the, how the strength of denying Christ, what the Bible says about the Christ deniers. Matthew chapter 10, please. And I'm just going to lift a little verse to let you see it. Matthew 10, please. Let your eye run right away down to verse 32. Jesus is speaking, he says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Now, that's strong language today. 
That's not really politically correct, Jesus, when you're saying that sort of stuff. But nevertheless, Christ said, the man or the woman, the person who denies me, the person who denies me, he says, when they stand before me, I will deny them. Now, brothers and sisters, let's remember what I'd said previous, that in Christ you're secure, and we fail and we all fall at times, but let's just for a moment place ourselves in the place of the denier. And what is it in our life where we deny Christ? Is it when Christ is telling us we should be in a certain place and we go do something else? Are we denying him and his authority and ruling our life? Is it when God in our hearts is calling us to prayer and to seek his face to come you apart for a while and, 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 and come fellowship with me and we deny it by wanting to sit watch television or whatever? Is it when God is saying, I want you to yield this to me and we're, we're not doing it? Is it denying? We know that the, the reason of this is that it's in the context of oh, that men and women who are denying him completely, he'll deny them. But let's put Christ first and see where we are. Are we denying him when the Spirit is leading us into greater things? Are we denying him when the Holy Ghost comes into a meeting and tells us that what we need to do and how we need to do it and where we need to yield? Are we denying his sovereignty? What is it in our life? You ask the Spirit, say, Lord, have I denied you in anything? You see, the, the, the wonderful thing is, Christian, Peter denied the Lord thrice, and the cock crowed, and he went out, and he wept bitterly. And the idea is that Peter wept, and he wept, and he wept, and he wept, and he wept, as though he would not stop weeping. In other words, he realized, Lord, I have denied you. He's the one who says, I'll go to prison even unto death with you. But he says, I've denied you. So we find out that Christ reinstates, and he restores Peter to see of Galilee, by asking him, do you love me? So brothers and sisters, this isn't for your salvation this morning. This is for relationship, for a close walk with him. This is for you to say, I want to be filled with you. But how can I be filled with you when I'm denying what you're telling me to do? God says, I don't want you to do this. And you're reading maybe in your home and the Lord says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to that person and I want you to tell them. That you're sorry for the way you treated them. I'm not doing that. See, that's not off the Holy Ghost. Going and doing it's off the Holy Ghost. That's having the Holy Ghost. It's denying ourselves, denying our pride. I've been surprised recently. Do you know recently in the last few days I've had a couple, well, a couple of people, one inadvertently, but one directly, come to me and says, I treated you wrong and I want to apologize to you. They don't come here, by the way, they're somewhere else. I just says, you don't need to apologize, it's okay. Come from another church. I thought that was big of that person. I thought that was having the Holy Spirit. So where are we denying Christ? The idea to deny here we know is for salvation. And Christ will deny those who have denied him in this life. If you'll go with me to Acts chapter 3, please. Of course now you do know that when you were laughing at me saying I'm not, I'm maybe 
get this done. You do know now that it might turn into a couple of weeks. So I want to do something in the spirit. I want to apologize to you that says, I know you're laughing. You are right and I was wrong. Acts chapter 13, please. There's been a man healed at the beautiful gate. Peter and John go to pray. Grab the man. He, you know the story. He gets up. His ankle bones receive strength. He's in the temple walking, leaping and praising God. And the crowds, the Jewish crowds get in the temple, gather around them, want to know what this is. Acts chapter 3, let your eye run down to verse 13. Listen to what Peter says. And the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers, hath glorified his Son, whom ye delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead. Wherefore, we are witnesses. Peter's saying, you denied him. Here is Pilate, and here is Christ. And he comes out and he says, whom will ye that I release unto you? And they cried for Barabbas, or Pilate, and, uh, uh, Barabbas, Pilate, and Christ, pardon me. And they're saying, yeah, it's Barabbas, Barabbas, and crucify Christ. Now Peter says, God raised him from the dead. He offered you the walk. In other words, here it is. Is it the spirit or is it the flesh? Is it Christ or is it the world? He says, which one do you want? Is it life in Christ or is it death in Barabbas? Which, which one do you want? Or whom will you deny? Brother, sister, which one do you want? Do we want an assembly that's alive for Christ? I'm not just talking about uh, singing and clapping and raising hands and, uh, and having our instruments playing. And that's great and fine. That's okay. But I'm talking about alive in Christ, alive for Christ. Being full of Jesus, having the Spirit. Let me show you a couple of others. Second Timothy 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, please. I told you this morning my brain's a little foggy, so if I left Barabbas out there for a moment. <laughs> and... 2 Timothy, please. Chapter 3. Just one little verse. Just let me get it. Let your eye run down, please, to verse 15. Verse 5, sorry. <laughs> I told you my brain's foggy. Verse 5. Notice this. I'll tell you what. Let's read from verse 1 because this will give you another idea of the people. Know, this know that also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traity, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. Notice the next verse, verse 6. For of this sort are they which creep into houses. Here's the idea of them coming again and leading silly women captive. 
In other words, here's the idea of it. These people are there and they, and they can come into a meeting. They can come into a church. They can be, they could be in this assembly. God forbid, but they could be in this assembly. But it's ourselves examining ourselves where we are with him. With Christ. Where are we with him? Are, and do we have, are we lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God? There's nothing wrong with having a nice life. There's nothing wrong with having pleasures. There's nothing wrong with being rich even. It's the love of it more than being a lover of God. That's the problem. When we're not Jesus lovers, when we don't love Christ the way we used to, when we don't love him in our hearts and show it to others, when we don't love him with fire and passion, but we couldn't care less that church has become a formality, it's a ritual, it's a pit stop where we tend to go every now and again to ease our conscience, to say we've been there, or to show ourselves proof of goodness and and, and around our our neighbours and our family and friends. And that's not of the Holy Ghost. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Ghost is a living, it's a moving, it's a walking, it's a talking, it's a, it's a lifestyle, it's knowing Christ, loving Christ, being conscious of Christ, and abiding in Christ every moment of the day. Even when we're working, suddenly the thought, the idea comes to the heart and to the mind, and we start to think of him, we start to wonder, or a fear comes, our first thought is, oh Lord, help us. It's knowing him. When we gather together, we're here to love him. We're here to worship, not only to receive, we're here to give unto him. I'm here, Lord, to worship you. See how good the worship is this morning. Dear, bless us and help you if you're waiting on me, giving you a good time this morning. But we're here, Lord, no matter if we were to sing without an instrument. If we were to sing and lay all the frills and the fancies down. If we were to get up to sing that our hearts are in love with Christ, that our hearts are bursting with Christ, we're so in love with Jesus that nothing matters. All we do is open our mouth and pour forth the praises of our God. Does that make sense to some of us? That here we're ready gathered together, and we're here to give. Here, we're told that there are those who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. There are conveyor belt preachers filling many churches who don't know Christ, who are unsaved, and they do this for a job. I'd be honest, see if I was to do this for a job, I just wouldn't do it. That's the truth. Won't be the first time I asked the Lord, can I do another job? And that's the truth. You see, if a man and a woman don't know him, they have nothing to give. Oh, you can read you a Bible story. We can do a wee hocus pocus round the table. We can come and light a few candles and get you to bow down and or whatever that is. 
we can get you to kneel and to stand and repeat after me. That's not the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is he who lives in you and causes you to be alive unto him. A couple of verses and we close. First John, please. Having a, a, a life of Christ. Sunday around the Lord's table is the most important meeting for the believer. Understand that. But when you go home, brothers and sisters, what happens the rest of the week? Is that it? Is this where Christ is? Is this where, as far as it goes with him? In 1 John chapter 2, let your eye run down to verse 22. Who is a liar? Now, John, if you said that in the pulpit, can you imagine if I came up here and I said, you right, among you, who's a liar? Who is a liar? I said, I'm not going back to Donald Clonegan. Listen to the word of God. Who is a liar but he that denieth Jesus is the Christ? In other words, that Jesus is Messiah, that he is God veiled and manifest in the flesh. Son of God and the Son of Man. So who is the liar that he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? Notice, he is Antichrist. That denieth the Father and the Son. In other words, here he's saying, if those who are denying Christ, it's a spirit. It's Antichrist. You think of the religions and denominations who deny the deity of Christ. Now think about it. Think hard about it. And then let the Holy Ghost wing it to your heart. And people are aligning themselves onto it. There are certain Protestants, not going through all the names of, the, of denominations of Protestantism, and some of them don't believe in the deity of Christ. Spirit of Antichrist. Or what about, what about the Islamic faith? They believe he's a prophet at the most. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Or what about the Jehovah's Witness? They don't believe in the deity of Christ. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Here's a hard one for everyone to swallow. What about Judaism? Isn't that right? Yet Christians are starting to fellowship with those who do not believe in them. We should be bringing them to Christ. (laughs) Every man and woman. And the spirit of Antichrist comes into a meeting then. 
And a man and a woman deny that he is almighty God. Poured into a body of flesh. In the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the spirit of Antichrist. They're denying him. Verse 23, whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Here in this I finish. Thank you for your attention. Time is well flown. Jesus says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you want our eternal Father... You must come by him. If you want the eternal salvation he brings, you must come by him. No other way. And again, we're meant to be saying in the political world, the political correctness of this world, that there are many roads that lead to the top of the mountain. Brothers and sisters, this word of God plainly and clearly tells you and I that Jesus is the unique one and only way of salvation. There is no other, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and that when we are in him, we are one spirit with our Father. And if you're saved this morning, he will make you more like his Son, having the Spirit of God. In other words, if a life doesn't produce fruit, having not the Spirit. If a life doesn't produce Christ, having not the Spirit. Does your life want to produce fruit? Maybe you've never thought of that before. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ and we win... Let me say this to encourage you before you go. This is not to say, oh, you've done something wrong. You not, have not the Spirit. If you're saved, you have the Spirit of God. And not because of you, but in spite of you. And, the other, uh, 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 and, and for you to think that you're not his is wrong. That's not what this is about. But this is to say, Holy Spirit, show me where I may deny you as sovereign in my life. Show me where you've spoken unto me and I have not been obedient. Show me where I'm not bearing fruit yet. You want to prune the branches to bring forth much more fruit and much fruit. Show me this morning, oh almighty God, what you would have me to do and help me, give me the grace to yield my will to yours. Because that's having the Spirit. And let Christ grow in your life. Let's get into that place in the private places. Getting fire again for Christ. God bless us. We are going to do another one next week. And we're only, actually only touched the first few verses of what I had jotted down there. First few, first few lines. So what we'll do is next week in the Lord's will, I do want to get to the place also where it's keeping yourself in the love of God. We're going to look at that and it's just wonderful. It's beautiful, the divinely loved ones. So let's really seek God's face for his blessing and more of his spirit. Let's get back into the things that God has called us to. The Lord richly bless you then.